Who am I? Moses' second question to God at the burning bush was, Who are you? So I'll go to the Israelites and say, Your father's God sent me to you, and they'll immediately ask me what his name is. What shall I say to them? God's reply, wrongly translated in almost every Christian Bible as something like, I am that I am, deserves an essay in its own right. And in fact, I wrote about it in my book, Future Tense and the Great Partnership. But his first question was, Who am I? Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh, said Moses to God, and how can I possibly get the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, on the surface, his meaning is clear. Moses is asking two things. The first is, who am I to be worthy of so great a mission? And the second is, how can I possibly succeed? And God answers the second, because I will be with you. You'll succeed because I'm not asking you to do it alone. I'm not really asking you to do it at all. I'll be doing it for you. I want you to be there as my representative, my mouthpiece, my emissary, and my voice. But God never answered the first question. Perhaps in a strange way, Moses answered himself. In Tanakh as a whole, the people who turn out to me the most worthy are the ones who deny they are worthy at all. The prophet Isaiah, when charged with his mission, said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Jeremiah said, I can't speak, for I am a child. David, Israel's greatest king, echoed Moses' words, Who am I? Jonah, sent on a mission by God, tried to run away. According to Rushbaum, Jacob was about to run away when he found, found his way blocked by the man or angel with whom he wrestled at night. The heroes of the Bible aren't figures from Greek myth or any other kind. They're not people possessed of a sense of destiny, determined from an early age to achieve fame. They don't have what the Greeks call megalopsuchia, a proper sense of their own worth, a gracious and lightly worn superiority. They didn't go to Eton or Oxford. They weren't born to rule. There were people who doubted their own abilities. There were times when they felt like giving up Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah and Jonah reached points of such despair that each one of them prayed to die. They became heroes of the moral life against their will. There was work to be done, God told them so, and they did it. It was almost as if a sense of smallness is a sign of greatness. So God never answered Moses' question, who am I, why me? But there is another question within the question. Who am I might not be just a question about worthiness. It can also be a question about identity. Moses, alone at Mount Sinai, at Mount Horeb, i.e. the same thing, summoned by God to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, wasn't just speaking to God when he said those words. He was speaking to himself. Who am I? There are two possible answers. The first, Moses was a prince of Egypt. He'd been adopted as a baby by Pharaoh's daughter. He'd grown up in the royal palace. He dressed like an Egyptian. He looked and spoke like an Egyptian. When he rescued Jethro's daughters from some rough shepherds, they went back and told their father, Ish Mitzri Hitzilano, an Egyptian saved us. His very name, Moses, was given to him by Pharaoh's daughter. It was presumably an Egyptian name. In fact, Moses as in Ramses, is the ancient Egyptian word for child. The etymology given in the Torah that Moses means I drew him from the water tells us what the word suggested to Hebrew speakers, but not actually what it meant in Egyptian. So the first answer is that Moses was an Egyptian prince. The second was that he was a Midianite shepherd. 
because although he was an Egyptian by upbringing, he'd been forced to leave, and he'd made his home in Midian, married a Midianite woman, Zipporah, daughter of the Midianite priest, and was Vayoel Moshe, he was content to live there quietly as a shepherd. We tend to forget that he spent many years there. He left Egypt as a young man and he was 80 years old at the start of his mission when he first stood before Pharaoh. So he must have spent the overwhelming majority of his adult life in Midian, far away from the Israelites on the one hand and the Egyptians on the other. Moses was a Midianite shepherd. So when Moses asks, who am I? It's not just that he felt himself unworthy. He felt himself uninvolved. He may have been Jewish by birth, but he hadn't suffered the fate of his people. He hadn't grown up as a Jew. He hadn't lived among Jews. He had good reason to doubt the Israelites would even recognize him as one of them. How then could he become their leader? More penetratingly, why should he even think of becoming their leader? Their fate was not his. He wasn't part of it. He wasn't responsible for it. He didn't suffer from it. He wasn't implicated in it. What's more, the one time he'd actually tried to intervene in their affairs when he killed an Egyptian taskmaster who had killed an Israelite slave and the next day tried to stop two Israelites from fighting one another, his intervention wasn't welcomed. Who made you ruler and judge over us? They said to him. These are the first recorded words of an Israelite to Moses. He hadn't even dreamed of being a leader and already his leadership was being challenged. Consider now the choices Moses faced in his life. On the one hand, he could have lived as a prince of Egypt in luxury and at ease. That might have been his fate had he not intervened. Even afterward, had he been forced to flee, he could have lived out his days quietly as a shepherd at peace with the Midianite family into which he had married. It's not surprising that when God invited him to lead the Israelites to freedom, he resisted. Why then did he accept? Why did God know that he was the man for the task? One hint is contained in the name he gave his first son. He called him Gershom because he said, Ger haiti beretz I'm a stranger in a foreign land. He didn't feel at home in Midian. That was where he was, but not who he was. But I think the real clue is contained in an earlier verse, the prelude to his first intervention. The Torah says when Vayidal Moshe, when Moses grew up, he began to go out to his own people and he saw their hard labor. These people were his people. He may have looked like an Egyptian, but he knew that ultimately he wasn't. It was a transforming moment. Not unlike when the Moabite Ruth said to her her Israelite mother-in-law, Naomi, your people will be my people and your God my God. Ruth was un-Jewish by birth. Moses was un-Jewish by upbringing. But both knew that they, when they saw suffering and identified with the sufferer, could not walk away. Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik called this Brit Goral, a covenant of fate. It lies at the heart of Jewish identity to this day. There are Jews who believe and those who don't. There are Jews who practice and those who don't. But there are few Jews indeed who, when their people are suffering, can walk away saying, this has nothing to do with me. Maimonides defines this as Paresh 
מדרכי הציבור, separating yourself from the community. And he says that that is one of the sins for which you are denied a share in the world to come. That's what the Haggadah means when it says of the wicked son that because he excludes himself from the collective, he denies a fundamental principle of faith. What fundamental principle of faith? Faith in the collective fate and destiny of the Jewish people. Who am I? asked Moses. But in his heart he knew the answer. I am not Moses the Egyptian, nor am I Moses the Midianite. When I see my people suffer, I am and cannot be other than Moses the Jew. And if that imposes responsibilities on me, then I must shoulder them. For I am who I am, because my people are who they are. That is Jewish identity, then and now. Shabbat Shalom.